Welcome to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with Lee Jackson. Hi, welcome to the next episode of Get Good at Presenting, the podcast with myself, Lee Jackson. Today, I've uh, gone fairly local to speak to one of my speaker friends who lives pretty close to me, but has an amazing experience, 25 years experience as a full-time professional motivational speaker. And he's one of the guys that really helped me out in the early days. And his name is Steve McDermott. He's got an exciting thing coming up. I'll introduce, uh, and Steve, you can tell us all about that. But let me tell you a story or two about Steve before I get him to say hello. First of all, we're in a bar, which is uh, unusual because he was last year a motivational speaker in residence in a local bar in Leeds, which is a great title. And he'll tell us a bit about that story. But actually, Steve was uh, one of the guys that helped me out. And when I was doing this the first couple of years as a professional speaker, I went on one of his courses, I helped out, I listened to what he said. And he was one of the guys that honestly really helped me to understand what it, what the difference is between a public speaker and a professional speaker. And I'll get him to talk a little bit about that. But generally, just a great guy, loads of stuff to share, doing Edinburgh Fringe coming up, all sorts of exciting things to share. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Steve McDermott. Well, thanks for that, Lee. 25 years, eh? I can't remember when we first met. How long ago do you reckon it was? I reckon it was probably about 11 years ago, oh, maybe 10 or 11 years. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know how we met either. I don't know how you found out about us. But anyway, here we are. So, yeah, so I'm happy to share. So, you know, with the PSA and all that, I'm a big believer in abundance. It's like one of my core beliefs. <laughs> do I need to explain that belief to people, to the listeners? Yeah, okay, do, do a brief explanation of what that is. A lot of people believe in limits, so they kind of go, if I tell you all my cool stuff, that's less works less of a slice of the cake for me whereas i think true successful people and let's say professional speakers in this case go do you know what let's just make the cake bigger right because i don't mind somebody turning up and getting a gig because i can't do every gig in the world and you don't want to go back <laughs> i think it can be a, a challenge to go back two years running to be honest if you've blown the room away because the standard you know they're expecting even better if you're not careful so I don't mind you getting a gig that I might have got and vice versa, right? And I want you to turn up and be brilliant and deliver fantastic value, right? So the client goes, these speakers, not only do they turn up, but they deliver value. What I don't want you to do is turn up and be rubbish. And they go, we're not having a speaker again. So I'm more than happy in this podcast to, to anybody, really, to say, this is everything I've learned in 25 years. You know, have it. Yeah. Take it away. Go out there and be brilliant. Thanks, Steve. That's great. That's definitely my opinion. And I think in the early days, you do get a bit thinking, oh, I won't say this because, you know, and you just think that's just a ridiculous way of doing it. And yourself and our mutual friends, Phil Hesketh, who's been on this podcast, Paul McGee, who will be on the podcast, and, you know, many other friends, including, bless him, Clive Gott, yeah. who's now passed away. Yeah. Nine, nine years. We were, well, Paul McGee is yet to be on the podcast, I believe, but a good friend of ours, he only reminded me yesterday on the phone that it's nine years since we lost Clive. And those people out there, some may know Clive, incredible speaker. And he really believed in this as well. I got so many tips off Clive. Loads of people, all those people just mentioned, learn loads from them. Yeah, I appreciate you being abundant. So let me ask you some questions then. Please do. A lot of people are going to be interested in, particularly for you, there's definitely a bridge, I think, between comedy and professional speaking. Do you want to explain that journey you've been on yourself? Yeah, I mean, people, I see this a lot, certainly when, with the PSA back in the day and stuff, and people do courses, how to get humour into your presentations they go, right? And I don't really know if I have a view on that. <laughs> I know you once did a bit of stand-up at the PSA, didn't you? And I know that was a big stretch for you. 
I've done quite a bit of stand-up for charity. My agent said, I'm doing this thing called Funny Business, and it's going to be at the Comedy Store, Leicester Square, right? I'm going to get my business speakers to do 20 minutes of stand-up. Are you up for it, Steve, right? I did that five years running, right? And I made two assumptions. Because it was for charity, I thought, well, people, there won't be any heckling. And <laughs> secondly, I don't know why I thought this, because it was a Monday night, people won't be drunk. Wrong on both counts. They got heckled immediately. And people had totally off the faces, right? So, like, lads. I've always been quite a humorous guy, I think is what I would say. And I don't want it to be a limiting belief that you're either funny or you're not funny, right? But I think if you can use humor appropriately, that's great. And there is a crossover between stand-up. But, you know, Richard McCann is good at gravitas, right? And I've not seen much of his presentation, but I don't think he's big on necessarily humor particularly, right? And it's cliche, horses for courses. But I think humor, if my top tip would be, unless you're Billy Connolly, Few people are good at telling gags. So it's not about telling gags, but it is telling about telling brilliant stories. And you must have mentioned this so many times on these podcasts. And the humour comes from, so think situation comedy, right? Absolutely, yeah. We have mentioned that a little bit. That I, I think even in the last podcast, I said, don't tell jokes, yeah. just tell stories. So t- tell us this, this bizarre story of you being the motivational speaker in residence. This has really made me laugh when I saw this on LinkedIn. Yeah, well, first of all, you know, how do you stand out in a crowded marketplace? We've all heard of, um, you know, copying other things. So we've all heard of artists in residence, haven't we? And poets in residence and all this and author in residence. So I thought, why not have motivational speaking in residence? And that's here where we are now in the woods in Chapel Allen in Leeds. A good friend of mine runs uh, this place and it's got an event space and I'd, set a goal to do a one-man show at the Edinburgh Fringe. If you're not familiar with the Fringe, this is a festival that goes throughout most of August, sort of known for stand-up, but lots of other stuff as well, spoken word. And to celebrate 25 years, one of the reasons I'm doing it is to celebrate 25 years, I'm going to do a show there throughout the Fringe. But Michael McIntyre does not turn up at the O2 Arena and do 90 minutes of brand new stuff in front of 10,000 people. <laughs> and if you're listening to this, neither should you. So if you've got new material, you need to try it out with an audience that kind of don't care. Now, whether that's friends or people that might be like the audience you're going to speak to, that's what you need to do. And you need to tell them, this is a work in progress. So all stand-ups will say, I've been to lots of stand-up events where it's three or four comedians you've never heard of, and it's like 10 quid. And then they go, oh, I've got a special guest tonight. And Frank Skinner will come out and do 10 minutes of stuff from notes, work in progress. Because he yeah. does Because the point is this about funny, if we talk about funny or anything, actually, you can't know if your stuff's any good till you try it out in front of a live audience. You can't know. Wow, that's a big one. So a lot of people think they should sit in a darkened room writing material and therefore it'd be funny. You're saying you've got to, you've got to road test that. You've got to road test. You can't know. Because what's funny to you ain't funny to them. So I used to work, just over the road from me, I used to work in advertising. So a lot of my experience was creative director advertising agency. One of my favourite jobs was writing radio commercials. But not those terrible commercials, you know, come, come, <laughs> come, come, come to Monkey Motors, you know. But what was really humbling was they'd often test, we're doing a campaign for Cronenberg 1664 Lager, right, Strong Lager. And we did a lot of demos and then you go sit in somebody's sitting room and there's a two-way mirror thing, right, or one-way mirror or whatever, and there's a load of people that, you know, when there's people on the street with a clipboard, yeah. do you drink lager? Yeah, will you come here, we'll give you 10 quid and free lager to listen to these commercials. <laughs> and you listen and you watch them listening to the commercials that you've written that you think are funny and nobody's laughing. Oh, I see. Right. So I learned from my days in advertising, you've got to try it out with an audience, right? And sometimes humor, you'll find humor in things that you didn't know was there. 
often it'll be, you'll do something, the audience might heckle or say something that's funny, and everybody sort of has a laugh at your expense, but then you go, I'm going to use that next time. So I'm guessing, so you're doing this like funny and business thing. So you're, you're in London, you're in quite a yeah. swanky, like the comedy club yeah. in the UK. And then a bloke from Leeds turns up with a really broad Yorkshire accent. Yeah. Did, did you play on that a bit? Yeah, I play on, well, you'll know I play on that. I mean, my introduction always says around the world, I speak around the world, right? So whether I'm in Berlin or Rome or Bradford, right? It always says, he's, he's got two final things. His introduction, you always must have a written introduction. Have you talked about this? Uh, yeah, we have mentioned it and it's in my book. Yeah. Right. So if you read Lee's book and why that's important, so that, you know, because the one that I always remember, I know Sir Ken Robinson quite well. If you're not familiar with Sir Ken Robinson, his talk on TED is the most watched TED talk of all time. And there's a lot of TED talks, right? So he's bloody good. Yeah, right? yeah. Definitely. Uh, two tips from Ken. He charges, I think, $45,000 for a keynote. Got to be good. You know. Is that all? Is that all? That's all, right? Wow. But he lives in LA and all that, you know? Yes. And I said, you know, you're good at this thing, Ken, you know? What's your top tip? And do you know what he said? He said, I think giving a great speech or presentation or whatever you want to call it is like playing jazz. Not that you have to like jazz, by the way. No, no. But what he meant was you go out with a definite tune in mind that you've sort of rehearsed and stuff, but it's okay to go off on some twiddly bits now and again in the moment. And that's what I've, that's what I do. So if somebody books me for a 45 minute keynote, I'll have a tune in mind. This happened this week. I was speaking to everybody this week, right? And the client, I said in advance, and I always say to them, you know, I play jazz. And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, this is what I'm probably will talk about. But on the day, stuff might come up, you know, from the other speakers, whatever, and I might change a bit. So if I've got 45 minutes, I might have 30 minutes of a tune in mind, but 50 minutes of A. You know, yeah. so I'm not going to fill every space of that time. So, so, so how does the client react to that when you actually say you're going they to like riff? If you prove to them afterwards that it actually added value, oh, okay. it's not like I just I was indulgent and I talked about it. So I'll give you an example, a live example this week, yeah. right? Can't name the client and stuff, but I'd planned to talk about three particular things. And then from stuff I heard, and the speaker before me asked the audience to stand in the room on a level of confidence, like this side of the room, not very confident. Yeah. This side of the room, really confident. And then I realised that actually my stuff I had around confidence was far more relevant and useful because most of the people stood in the corner not confident. So I said to a client at the coffee break, you know, I was going to do this. I might take that out and do a bit on confidence to help. Would, would it be good to give them some practical tips to be more confident? when yeah, do that. So he was delighted. Now that's about being a professional speaker, right? Professional, so my, I think one of my skills that I've developed over time is... Two skills, two major skills. One is having a clock in my head. Not timing it, but I can, by practice and second nature, know how long a bit of material will take that I can just drag from the ether. Yeah. That allows me to have that flexibility. I have no slides ever, by the way. So that gives me even more flexibility, right? Sure. Didn't you tell me once that you, you just used to send random slides? Like, if they asked for them, you just send them random stuff? I'd, no, I'd say that, well, with the big... In, well, let's just... <laughs> so, let's, so they were like fake slides, right? Well, no, not really, no. Well, let's go off a brief tangent, right? So <laughs> talking about... Um, so we're talking about the UK, aren't we, mainly at the minute? But internationally, right, if it's a big, big conference, and I mean, like, I'm talking like, you know, let's, let's pick one. I did one in Sicily and there's like a thousand people, right? Yeah. It's a big conference, loads of international speakers, whatever. And they always say, when are you sending your scripts or your manuscript or your transcript? And when are you sending your slides? This is the conference organizers. Cause we've got loads of translators. Cause it is like United Nations. Oh, I see. Yeah. You, know, there's, yeah. There's, you name a nationality, they're there. Right. And, yeah. and the list are going to be in the back of the room, in the glass boxes, 
translating, you know, French, German, whatever, Japanese. When you send these slides, when you send your script, and I'll go, never and never. <laughs> and they go, what do you mean? Well, I don't have a transcript because I play jazz and I don't ever use slides. And they go, oh, yeah, but what about translators? And I go, well, fair dues, because I do have a broad Yorkshire accent. I will send you a transcript of the a presentation I give that will be similar to the tune that I might play. Okay. And I'll send you some slides that will kind of cover the, some of the key points that you can let the delegates maybe have afterwards. But I won't be using either of those things. Yeah, so it, it ticks their boxes for yeah. what they need. But, yeah, the understanding. Because if you did that, then I think a lot of speakers would then send that stuff and then the whole day would be really boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you're stuck with it and you don't have that, that chance to change yeah. stuff, right? However, if your goal is to speak internationally, which surely it should be for listening to this, why not? You will find yourself in situations where, first of all, a lot of the audience members' first language isn't English and there may be translators, now, again, you may have mentioned this before. Who do you want to make friends with at an event? I'll tell you, the techies, first and foremost. I see, yeah. yeah. I have seen so many speakers. <laughs> to this day, this is at a big event where there's maybe a few speakers. Often I'm the only speaker, so that's fine. But often there'll be a few speakers at a big event, right, talking about different topics. And I've seen so-called professional speakers. And there's usually, you'll maybe experience this, some guys and women at the back of the room, usually all dressed in black with some logo on, right, who work for the production company that are producing the event. They've done the staging, they've built the stage, put the lights in. So there's an electrician, there's a lights guy, there's a sound guy. And they're all at this desk and, and they're messing about because it's 10 minutes before the thing starts and it's like, we've got to get, make it happen, right? And the audience are in outside. And I've seen speakers go up and go, oh, Lord, can I just check my slides now? Clearly these people are busy, right? Yeah. And kind of, you can see it kind of upsets the production people. Now, if they chose to, I'm not saying they would do this, could they screw you over with the sound and the lights and all that? So I'm hoping that most of us would have enough common sense to go, I can see you're busy. Yeah. When would it be a good time to do a sound check? to check my slides. Very good, yeah. So treat them with respect, treat them professionally and ask when is it the yeah, best and time for and you. It's, they're part of your team. Same with translators. So back to Sicily, right? I said, don't, I've got, I'm playing jazz, but I do want a meeting with the translators the day before. So we're in a room, set the room up where it's a big circle and I put a waste paper basket in the middle of the circle. And we all had this transcript that they said, you've got to send this in advance, right? And I said, hello everybody. And they went, hello, how are you with this accent? And they're going, that's okay. So the thing is, this is me deliberately speaking really slowly. <laughs> Tomorrow, when I'm on stage, there'll be moments when I get really excited and I'll be speaking really quickly and you won't be able to catch every word. Is that an issue? Yes. Well, it doesn't need to be because I'm not worried that they'll catch every word. So yeah. I'm giving you permission to miss some words out. But if you can catch the energy of what I'm doing, that's fine. By the way, you know, on page two, paragraph three, it says comfort zones. There's a good chance, I might, might not, talk about comfort zones. Are you all familiar with the phrase comfort zone? Yeah. Can you all translate, translate that thing? France, Germany, yeah, right? Do you all know what it means? Yeah. Well, this is what we need to do now. And I stood up and I walked in the little room and I tore the script in half and threw it in bin. <laughs> right. That's what you all need to do with this. Okay. Also... Final thing with translators, this is just an example. You may never find this little situation about making friends. Don't pretend stuff ain't going on is what I'd also say. If there's technical issues and stuff, make them part of it. People can see them. So I come out the next day. I've already met the translators the day before. I've already met the production crew and go, when is it a good time to do a sound check and all that, right? Mm -hmm. So they all know me, you know, built a bit of rapport. So I come out, first thing I do, number one thing, get them in the room. 
Yep. That's number one thing. Any presentation you ever give, your number one thing is your job is to get them in the room and we could do a whole podcast just on that. But you need to do something. What are you going to do, right, to get them in the room? So I think, well, use what's there. So I come out and go, hello, everybody. Can we all just stand up? It's like a thousand people. Yeah. You know, okay. Turn round. Yeah. And at the back of the room, there's all the translators in the glass boxes and give our translators a massive round of applause because they've already given three presentations. Right, I see, yeah. Do you think the translator's like me now? <laughs> yeah. Are we all aware of it? Then there's a bit in the, in the actual thing. I remember when I was doing this little dance on stage, right? I was talking about, she can get two results when you step outside your comfort zone. One looks like this, mm, failure. And the other one's like, this, yeah, success. So I did that and I went, hang on a minute, translators, can we just all look at translators again? You didn't do the little dance. I We're going to do that again, but do the little dance. Because with humour, you see, it's all about riding the laugh. What that means is, if you model stand-up comedians, which I've done is, and let's talk about humour briefly, you have something that you think's funny, and you've tried it out with an audience and people laugh, then you go out on stage, you try it out and they don't laugh, because it's not guaranteed. What do you do? You just carry on and pretend it wasn't meant to be funny. You get a laugh you weren't expecting, which <laughs> is the best kind of laugh. You act yeah. like you were expecting it. It just oh, happened. Okay. And you ride the laugh. And what that means is you shut up and you enjoy that laugh and you don't start talking till that laugh decays. In other words, as the laugh, a lot of people talk over the laugh. Yeah. Right? Which, which is disrespectful to the audience in a way. But it's just been making them part of it, right? Yeah. And it also sort of says, even though you just got that laugh and expected like I expected that, because I'm shutting up. <clears throat> the challenge with translators is it takes a lot longer in German to translate a funny thing than it does in <laughs> French. So you have to ride the laugh on a few occasions, you know, because the, the Brits have already laughed, the Yanks have laughed, and we're still waiting for Germans to catch up. <laughs> so <laughs> but now you've got to ride the international laugh. Yeah, but that's a very specific thing. I think yeah, a lot yeah. of us might not have found situation, right? So obviously humour's a good thing, and I think humour comes from stories, and it's about collecting them, right? Yeah. Now, how do you test out a story? Let's do one live right now. Here's, let's go, let's go. Here's a story I've never told before. Okay. Right? So I'm going to test it with you as an audience of one yeah, and yeah. see how we can improve it, right? So I'm trained, amongst many other things, this year, 2020, big year for me, right? Third edition of my book's coming out in June. I'm doing a one-man show in Edinburgh throughout August, but I'm also running in the London Marathon yeah. with my wife, Candy, right? And which calls for a lot of training, 16 weeks of training. I'm in week seven at the minute. It was week seven, day two yesterday. I was running in... Temple Newsom, right? Do you have a dog? No, I've got two cats, but that's marriage, isn't it? Yes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I would have a dog if I had a choice. <laughs> I've never had a dog. My sister Curly's got three rescue dogs. I hate them, they jump all over. But I, I'm neither. I've, <laughs> I've got a rescue cat, Clive, right? But I'm okay with dogs. But runners out there, you'll know, you know, some people are great at responsible owners. So I'm running Temple Newsom. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's a big, like, estate. So I'm out, not in the park, but I'm out, like, on the muddy tracks. I'm aiming to do nine miles. I'm beasting it. I'm, I'm in a really good day, right? Yeah. Um, there's a big hill coming up. And I think, and I see this Alsatian and the guy just behind it. He comes charging towards me. And I'm thinking, it, what? and then it goes for me. Oh. Goes for me three times. And took a big chunk out of my leg. There it is. Look, can you see that plaster? Wow. Right. He uh, genuinely does have a plaster on his leg with blood on it. Yeah. yeah. And I had to punch it in the face uh, to eventually the guy got there, put it on his leg. He was sort of horrified, right? Wow. And I'm going, and I did quite, I won't do it now, I did quite a bit of sweary. Yeah. Because the adrenaline kicked in, blood everywhere. It's taken a big chunk out of my best running trousers as well. Oh. So I'm saying this guy, you know, if that had been a small child or whatever, right? Do you know what he said? It only did it because you were running. <laughs> now, here's my point. 
Do you believe that one of the keys to success <laughs> is taking personal responsibility? Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of one on one, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. I wonder if in that case it maybe got it the wrong way around. Absolutely. Right. So that's something I've just told us the first time I've ever told us, sorry. Now okay. I think it's got some legs in it, hasn't it? And we could craft it. It's got literally legs in it. Yeah. It literally has legs in it. It could yeah. have some humour in it. It's yeah. gone on. I've got a lot of feedback. I've got a lot of gags coming back. I put it on social media yesterday. Yeah. People going, well, I'm not surprised you look like a villain in that Nike hat that you wear. You, you know, you show it want a police dog and all this. <laughs> then, then on top of that, so then people going, have you had a tetanus job? Yeah. Now again, people listening to this, can you remember when you had a tetanus job? Not a clue. Right, so it's now. Are oh, you going to have to go to casualty? Oh, so okay. now I spend. So result, I've got a big gash in my leg, ruined pair of trousers, and I'm spending three hours in casualty to get a tetanus jab and get the wound cleaning. Loads of antibiotics, right? Loads of advice from people who have dogs who were mortified, right? Here's the thing I would say is funny. Clearly, it was scary, yeah. obviously at the time. But what I would say, some of the funniest stories you have. As some of the craziest stuff that was scary at the time. And it's only with the value of 24 hours later you go, now I look back, actually, that's quite funny. It's quite funny. And yeah. nobody, nobody's seriously, I'm fine, you know, I've got to go back on, got to go back to hospital Friday to make sure it ain't infected, right? Okay. But all I'm thinking is, this better not bugger up my London Marathon. And, and I'm going yeah. to say to the guy, I'm running at London Marathon, this is really annoying. <laughs> and, just going, yeah, and I just yeah. kept going, wouldn't have done it if you hadn't been running. Yeah. So all they kept saying. Well, the guy's pretty lucky because I guess, you know, that, that dog could cease to exist if... Uh, well, careful. here's the thing. Everybody, again, just another yeah. side, they said, did he get his name and address? Yeah. No. I said, what's your name? He's going, Amia. Well, yeah. And I'm going, what's the dog's name? And he's going, and so you're trying to think of something, aren't you? And he's going, oh, no, it's, right. it's called, it's called, what's it called? It's called Bubba. It's called Bubba, right? <laughs> his son was behind him a bit further. So I went up to his son and I said, what's your dog called? Tell me now. And he went, um, um. Uh, I saw a dog walker and I went up to when I got back to the car and I said, can I ask you advice? He's walking like eight, you know these people are like 12 dogs. Oh, like professional walkers yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, He's got yeah, like 12, yeah. all sat in the line. Brilliant, yeah. right? And I said, can I ask you advice? I said, I've just been attacked by a dog. First time ever. I got to 63, first time it's ever happened to me. Yeah. Big hole in my trousers, big hole in my leg. Yeah. And he went, go get a tetanus jab. For it. I said, what should I have done? He said, you should have got his name and address. I said, you're joking. I said, he wouldn't even tell me his name. And he had a big, Vicious dog, he could have just took it off its lead again. Yeah. He said, well, it happened to me, and the police said, you should have followed him home. Wow. To get his address. Anyway, coming back from that, so that's the thing, isn't it? So it's personal stuff. Nobody else can tell that story. Yeah, the point, yeah. point about stories is this, and building your brand, is difference between trainers and speakers. A lot of trainers become speakers, or a lot of trainers have a training business and go, oh, I'd like to do that speaking thing, that's good. Don't have to do a two-day workshop, could just do 45 minutes of jazz, right? Big, there's a lot of difference between trainers and speakers, but I would argue the biggest difference is trainers use the same old, same old stories. So if the classic would be, they're talking about limiting blaze, they talk about Roger Bannister breaking four-minute mile, or now it'd be the guy breaking the two-hour marathon, wouldn't yeah. it? Beauty about personal stories, like the one I just told, nobody else can tell that but me. Now, the point is the story has to yeah. have a point. Now, the point that story will probably have, I'll play with it, is about taking personal responsibility and how yeah. people are reluctant to do it when clearly it's their fault. Yeah. So you could use that story with an audience and you'd get a real kind of dog lover, yeah. cat lover thing going, could really interact with them. Yeah. But you have to try it out. So I've tried it out with an audience one. I'll probably try it out here in the woods when I do the show again and see if yeah. it And I think that's good. And then because then, then, I'm obviously a speaker, my mind's going now with the stuff that you can, you know, extend that story. Because you're not lying, but you extend it. So so one thing just off the top of my head, I was thinking you could see the Alsatian was looking at you. Yeah. 
he's looking at you and he's going, I'm going to get him. Yeah. And you've got, then you've got it from the dog's point of view. So then, then you've doubled the story then, haven't exactly. you? Exactly. So the point is, so do all stories have to be true? No, but the best stories have, have certainly maybe 80% of it. Yeah. Because people, and so it's the, who was there, what was going on, all that. Yeah. So even if I'm speaking in Rome, I'm going to talk about Kipax. Don't matter, right? Because <laughs> it don't matter if they've never been there. But it's like going back to what is the message for the story? So what elements of this story might I need to massage change to make it more fun, more interesting, but to get the point across? You're quite right. So, you know, you could have the dog's point of view. There's three points of view, in fact, going. In fact, there's four points of view in that story. There's mine, yeah. there's the dog's, there's the dog's owner and his incredibly embarrassed son that I'm, yeah. that I'm going, what's that dog called as well, right? <laughs> so, but that'll need a lot of craft around it. See, so I'm going to try that story out a few times in front of a live audience, a non-paying audience here, and go, yeah, that could go into my show now. And, and so just to clarify that you, you know, you've got to do that live. You've got to try that out live. You can't really do it. And then you might choose to do that story. And actually you think, actually, no, it's too controversial or it's too grim. Or I'll just, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll, you might drop it, I guess. Yeah, so, well, know. I know a lot of speakers. Speaker, you get feedback and you go, you go, that still ain't working. And I've tried this, I've tried that, you know. Yeah. I'm going to drop it. So you get feedback and you've you got to find it, but you've got to get with an audience that have an opinion because there's no point in doing it in front of an audience that aren't relevant, right? So the audience I get here for the show that is, is called a work in progress, which means, look, I'm making this up as well. You're not paying all. So, hey, you know, if you get a bit of value, great. Try it out with an audience, hone it. And then, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of stand-ups and when I did the stuff with the comedy stars, a guy called Neil Malarkey, who you wouldn't have heard of, but a brilliant improvising comedian. He founded the Comedy Store Players with Paul Merton. And what they do is every Wednesday and Sunday, they make it up on the spot. Now, for most people listening to this, that'd be terrifying. Yeah. I did an improv show with him. Yeah. And we're backstage. When I say backstage, we're in the dressing room of the Comedy Store, which is basically a toilet. Yeah. And he's going, oh, that's, that's Steve. A bit of history for you. That is the sink that Joe Brand used to wee in. <laughs> oh, great, okay. And that's where, that's where Eddie Izzard used to stand and all that. So, yeah, great. Uh, tiny little room, little stage, but comedy store seats maybe 500. And the other speakers that were doing this for charity were freaking out. And Neil's going, right. what's wrong? I won't, because I thought, well, there's no point. So what's wrong? They go, well, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, I said, well, that's great, because you don't have to remember anything, do you? <laughs> so we don't know what we're going to yeah. do. So no matter. But there's some rules and guidelines to improv that help you get through it, right? It's quite interesting. The second time we did the comedy store, Neil was quite nervous because he was doing it in a different way, right? right? But I remember saying to him, how do comedians try out new material? You know, because he kind of, mm. it's funny. He said, well, obviously if the audience is paying, other than it being a work in progress and it's free, the sandwich it between two killer bits of material. So God, this nearly always flies. I've done this so many times. I always yeah. open like this, they love it. And this bit always nearly always flies. So I'll put this new stuff in between the two. And then it kind of won't matter. But I'll get some feedback on it. And not only that, like you're doing, I'll record it. I'll video it. Yeah. Because I would also say to be a brilliant speaker, not just an okay speaker, you have to be 100% out of your head. <laughs> and I don't mean insane and mental. Mm. I mean, when people say to me, clients often say to me after us all, friends, family will say, how did that gig go? And I go, I've no idea. What did you say and do? Don't know. Because okay. I wasn't in my head. I was never in my head for the whole 45 minutes. I wasn't in my head talking to myself, asking myself, how's this going? What do I say next? I was just performing. I was totally externally focused. Yeah. So it's about the audience, which is, yeah. I think there's a bit, of, a bit of a theme throughout this podcast where we've kind of said that, that really, you know, it's not about you. It's not about your ego. It's about the content to help the audience, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, 
it'd be insane to say you don't need an ego to do this job because clearly you do obviously yeah obviously you yeah. do and, and I think also we have to recognise the speakers why do we do this we were talking about before we kind of started recording about why we do certain things when we have a choice and I think speakers not always some of the best speakers are introverts right but a lot of speakers are extroverts and it's we like the strokes of course we do right and I think you were mentioning about some of the PSA saying you know that the stage is like crap cocaine you've got to be careful it's addictive so you can go down that rabbit hole and you're just doing it mm. for you and you have to always say how can I I'm here to serve the audience you know so if you're feeling a little bit anxious we've talked about John the Tauker we were just talking to our phone a good mate of ours right and John says you know if you're ever a bit nervous whatever did you ever get a question I get all the time yes do you ever get nervous right yeah. the, the number one question the number one question minus three is no never and people look at me and go, ah, oh, you liar. And I go, no, I never get nervous. But I tell you what, I sometimes get really adrenalized. I sometimes have a massive adrenaline rush, right? And it's like, I welcome those feelings because it means I care. John Lutaka puts it right there. He goes, if you've got those feelings, it means you care. And what you care about is not you. You care about the audience. So I've got a couple of things that you said to me yeah. years ago that I still remember okay. and I've still repeated occasionally when I'm delivering stuff and I quote you Steve just to clarify that's good <laughs> so, um, so the one thing you said I think it was you that said it might not be your thing you said see if you can answer this see if you can do the other half of this I don't mind having butterflies in my stomach yeah. it's about getting them flying in formation exactly flying them in formation I remember you saying that and that really stuck me in the early days like just accept it, Lee. You will get nervous, anxious, call it whatever you want. But it, you can have some level of control over that. Yeah, let me give you... I've got time, right? So a really, really good friend of mine is a guy called Leon Taylor. Oh, yeah, I met Leon, yeah. yeah. The diver guy, yeah? yeah? Yeah, most people have heard of him. They've probably yeah. heard of Tom Daly, yeah. right? So Leon's gone one better than Tom Daly has so far, unless he does it in this Olympics, because he won a silver medal in the 10-metre platform dive. Great, great speaker, and I've coached Leon, and he's, and he's now my running coach, which is great. So it's like, what goes around, comes around. He told, he said, he was in California. He's, he got he does come and take on BBC diving. He's got one of these portfolio things that he does, yeah. he does yeah. yoga or whatever, right? He's in California, and somebody said to him, hey, Leon, have you ever done a TED Talk? And he said, I got this feeling. And I thought, oh, bugger, I'm going to have to do one. Because his reaction is, if he ever gets something that makes him feel uncomfortable, I better do something about it. Uh, okay. Right? And so he did. Right? He did a yeah. TEDx talk. A beautiful story. He said, I'm an Olympic silver medalist. I'm a BBC commentator. I put a proposal in. And the guy who was running, sorting out the speakers for the TED talk in London said, it's not quite good enough, Leon. He said, so that's quite good for my ego. He said, can you rewrite it and send it again? And he said, I did. He said, yeah, it's quite good. Now can you send us a video of it? He said, well, I haven't done it yet. Well, yeah. just don't matter. Just give us a video. He said, I did that. And then about two weeks later, he said, right, you're on. He said, final bit then. He said, Leon lives in Brighton. He said, are you in London soon? He said, I am a couple of weeks. Can we meet in Hyde Park, says the guy from TED. Right? Yeah. So you might be ahead of me over here. So I don't know if you know famously what's in Hyde Park speaker's corner and oh, Leon, yeah, Leon said I remember getting off the tube thinking no wait what so <laughs> guy meets him at speaker's corner and says right give us your TED talk okay and Leon no, no, no I've never been to speaker's corner I know of it so but what is what is speaker's corner so I, I don't know how long for hundreds of years I'm saying generalising yeah. anybody freedom of speech you can stand at speaker's corner and just stand up if you like on the soapbox and go hey I believe in Brexit or whatever your thing is, right? Yeah, There's yeah. a God, there ain't a God. Anybody can just talk about what they like and yeah. you get a crowd and, and people go and stand there to listen to speakers. Mm -hmm. But it's in a park, right? <laughs> and Leon said, I got, talk about butterflies in formation. 
He said, but what's great is when you do something really, really scary, when you do the real thing, it doesn't seem half as scary as, as the thing you did before. So sometimes really pushing yourself where it kind of doesn't matter, but it's quite scary, so that when it does matter, it feels by comparison. Yeah. So he said, yeah, the TED Talk, doing the actual TED Talk was tough, but compared to standing in the park at Speaker's Corner, it was fairly straightforward. Oh, I see. I often say that like the toughest talks they do well, for PSA-type people, for professional speakers, it's in front of other speakers. Yes. I think that's a tough talk yeah. to do. But also, I think when people are on my course or on the courses yeah. that you do, presentation skill stuff, when they know somebody, it's hard. I mean, I'm always like, you know, give me 200 strangers any day. Yeah, yeah. And that's the easier one for me, I think. Well, I'm big on limiting beliefs, right? So I've got to be, yeah. I think you've got to be careful, right? So did I tell you I'm running a marathon? Yes. I think you've mentioned yeah. it, yeah. So I ran to get ready for that. I ran the Yorkshire Marathon. So I've run one marathon already. Best marathon ever. Is, is that one with a flat cap and a whippet? Pretty uh, much. Yeah, yeah. Because all the way around, I'm just engaging with crowd. I'm out of my head, just like we're speaking, wow. shouting to crowd, going, wow. Yorkshire. And they're going, Yorkshire. And it got me through the race, right? Wow. But I decided in advance of that. You don't know about running, but it's a good example of limiting beliefs, right? And again, making it personal to you, right? Yeah. So people talk about the wall in the marathon. So a marathon's 26.2 miles, right? And a lot of people go, oh, you can hit the wall at like mile 19, 20. Yeah. That's when you're like, if they have nothing, you know, yeah. I can't even move my legs, they're killing, I have no energy, I just want to die. And loads of people hit the wall, right? So when I was researching all this and looking at the kind of emotional side of running, because they say that long distance running, 90% of it's mental, right? 90% oh, okay. is mental and 10% is what goes on between your ears. Right, so... You Okay, right. So percent of it's mental and 10% is what goes on between ears. Well done, you caught on eventually. Right? I got sometimes I was just, to, I had another question and I went sometimes out. Sometimes you have okay. to ride that laugh, right? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I decided, I didn't want, I decided, this is true of any belief, I decided I wasn't going to believe in the wall because there was a lot of runners who never hit the wall. So what were they doing? Okay. Right? right. So I think it can be challenging or dangerous to go, I prefer to do this than this. When it's people I don't know, I'm better. It's not as uncomfortable as when it's people I do know. Yeah, yeah. I go, why have a difference? Why even create that wall, okay. right? So I go, people go, oh, when I'm speaking, so we do presentation mastery, right? And people go, oh, I'm okay with like six people, but like, oh, a lot of people. Yeah, right? yeah. And I go, turn that on its head. Because from my experience, 2,000 people, a lot easier to work with than 20. Okay. That's my belief, Yeah. right? But equally, 20 people are gas as well. So I think you've got to be careful. You don't limit, you know, often is another thing when you're getting a brief off a client. So the thing I did in Edinburgh, it's a series of three roadshows, right? So we're doing one in Cardiff and then one in Birmingham. So same thing, three times, bit of jazz, obviously, different audiences. Okay. And often I've done a lot of those things. And I remember doing, I think it was for Job Centre Plus back in the day. And they went, they briefing me and they went, oh, London, whatever. And then, but Liverpool they'll be a nightmare. <laughs> now, if you're not careful, you buy into that belief, don't you? And yeah, you're told yeah, this audience is going to be a nightmare mm. and you look for signs that that's true. Yeah. So it's good to get a good brief, but be careful that they don't tell you something and then you look for the evidence that it's true. So if you decide that speaking to people you know is going to be hard, it's going to be quite hard. Yeah, oh, good. I like to be challenged. You've challenged me a bit there. Maybe it is a limiting belief, but actually I think it's more like, I think it's more preference than limiting belief. Yeah, so my preference would be, I'm very happy to be introduced as a random stranger yeah. in front of 500 people than to have all my family in the front, who've heard all my jokes yeah. 
and they think, yeah, dad, whatever, you're not that funny. You yeah. know, so I guess, yeah, maybe it's preference rather than limiting yeah, beliefs. I think, maybe, yeah. I think you're spot on. Yeah, yeah. Something to consider, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, yeah. hairdressers often have the worst haircuts, don't they? So I think <laughs> as speakers, we know all this stuff, don't we? Yeah. We, we yeah. often train people in how to be better communicators and presenters, yeah. right? But we don't always do it, do we? And we don't do presentation skills training. We do presentation beliefs training. Because I'm a big believer in it's beliefs are everything, right? So no matter skills going to sort it, right? Because I could give you all the skills in the world to be a great presenter or speaker, but if you don't believe you can be, yeah. not going to change, right? Yeah. Wow, so much great content there from Steve. I've decided actually to make this into two podcasts, so you get the second half of this next week because there's so much stuff in there. Get a notepad, write the stuff down. He's uh, certainly a very giving, a very giving man, and he was just really went for it. So yeah, we'll chop this up so we can get the more value out of it. The second half of this comes next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with your host, Lee Jackson. If you'd like to know more about Lee's work as a motivational keynote speaker and presentation coach, visit his website at leejackson.biz. That's leejackson.biz.